following audio is from a sermon series on the book of Proverbs. For more information about Sacred City Church, please visit sacredcitychurch.com. Hear the word of the Lord from Proverbs, from chapters 6, 8, 10, 13, 15, and 26. Go to the ant, O sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief, officer, or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. And poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. The Lord possessed me at the beginning of his work, the first of his acts of old. Ages ago I was set up at the first, before the beginning of the earth. When there were no depths, I was brought forth. When there were no springs abounding with water. Before the mountains had been shaped, before the hills, I was brought forth. Before he had made the earth with its fields, or the first of the dust of the world. When he established the heavens, I was there. When he drew a circle on the face of the deep. When he made firm the skies above, when he established the fountains of the deep, when he assigned to the sea its limit, so that the waters might not transgress his command. When he marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was beside him like a master workman, and I was daily in his delight, rejoicing before him always, rejoicing in his inhabited world and delighting in the children of man." Like vinegar to the teeth and smoke to the eyes, so is the sluggard to those who send him. The soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing, while the soul of the diligent is richly supplied. The way of a sluggard is like a hedge of thorns, but the path of the upright is a level highway. The sluggard says, there is a lion in the road, there is a lion in the streets. As a door turns on its hinges, so does a sluggard on his bed. The sluggard buries his hand in the dish. It wears him out to bring it back to his mouth. The sluggard is wiser in his own eyes than seven men who can answer sensibly. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. Congratulations. You got out of bed this morning. Yeah, you got dressed. Right? And you drove here. Extra credit if you ate breakfast. Okay, good. So this message isn't for you. It's tempting to think, as in every one of these messages, last week, Simpleton, this week, the sluggard, next week, uh, scoffer, it's tempting to believe that it doesn't apply to you, you or your, your life or my particular life. And matter of fact, when I say the word sluggard, you have already created a mental image of who it does apply to, and it's not you. My, my mental image is this. It's a 31-year-old, 2.23 in the afternoon. He's lounging on a couch, bathrobe half open, wearing gray gym shorts, probably from his high school. No shirt, two-day-old stubble, hair askew, potato chip bag in hand. Chips, crumbs cas cascading over the couch edge as if time has stopped. Video game controller in hand. Eyes staring seriously at something just over my shoulder. And I suspect it's a large screen TV with a video game. That's my sluggard. And since it's not me, I'm tempted to think that I can ignore these verses about the sluggard. And you are tempted this morning because I've already kind of given you, I've planted the seed in my congratulations. 
to think that perhaps the next 30, 35 minutes is a time to be endured. Or maybe you can get some nuggets out of what we're going to be looking at in terms of the Proverbs in order that you can apply it to the sluggard that you really do know. The sluggard that's in your head. But if we, if we think this way, we have failed to take serious the account of the fall described for us in Genesis chapter 3, the pervasiveness of sin and how it has affected our understanding of, uh, of work and our attitude toward work, that good gift of work that God has given to us pre, previous to the fall, that is, in creation. Pastor Justin on June 2nd preached a message on the gospel and our work. And he reminded us there that a third of our life is spent working. That is making a living, providing for our family. So the focus of his message was on how the gospel affects how we make money. But today's message asks us to think beyond our uh, financial, uh, uh, ourselves as beings of financial providers, but we need to think uh, about our identities in Christ. We believe here at Sacred City that action follows being. Therefore, we define ourselves not by what we do, but who we are in Christ. And we believe the gospel gives us four main identities. Family, missionaries, servants, learners. That as a result of being in Jesus Christ, he has given us new identities of which then we work out those uh, identities within our lives. And so we need to be thinking about those identities. And here is what scripture tells us generally, and that is that we are all lazy, sluggish in some way. And that if we do not recognize that laziness, that sluggishness, or if we do not repent of it, there will be destructive consequences in any one of those realms. And even worse, it could be the very loss of your soul. But here's my main point. Christ worked in order to save us from our sluggish, destructive ways. There's going to be four questions I want to answer this morning. What should our attitude be toward work? What is a fool? And particularly, what is a sluggard? And how is Christ our Savior from our sluggish, destructive ways? So, Father, help us, we pray. Father, I confess that as I studied and then now, Father, as we're thinking about this, our lean, our natural way of thinking is to be applying everything we learn to somebody else. So, Father, we pray that you are the light of the world and you are the one who is able to bring light into the deepest corners of all of our hearts here. You are able. We sang, Father, that you are, a, uh, you are powerful. And so we pray to you, Father, who is powerfully able to work through all of our excuses, to work through all of our uh, sending these thoughts on to somebody else. Father, we pray that you would be at work in our lives this day, that you would help us to see where we need to repent. Uh, but also, Father, we would pray that you'd help us to see where we need to trust. So please work, Father, in our hearts and our lives this day as we continue into your word. We are grateful for it. We thank you. We pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. First question, what should be our attitude toward work? What should our attitude be toward toward work. Now, we cannot really fully appreciate our sluggishness apart from understanding what God's word says about this good gift of work. 
And so when we think about the Proverbs, we typically uh, think immediately of the terse nuggets of truth that are in two-line contrast or uh, parallels, uh, comparisons or contrasts. But, you know, interestingly enough, Proverbs doesn't begin with these, these typical uh, Proverbs uh, as we think of in mind, but rather it begins in the first nine chapters with ten messages, ten messages that are from a father to a son. And so some of the scriptures that we read this morning are out of those messages. So I'd have you turn in your Bibles first to Proverbs chapter 8. Proverbs chapter 8. And we're going to begin at verse 22. Let me just read it again for you. It's speaking of wisdom. And so this is what uh, we're coming into the middle of the discussion here. The Lord possessed me, speaking of wisdom, the Lord possessed me at the beginning of his work, the first of his acts of old. Ages ago I was set up at the first Before the beginning of the earth, and when there were no depths, I I was brought forth, and when there were no springs abounding with water, before the mountains have been shaped, before the hills, I was brought forth, before he had made the earth with its fields, or the first of the dust of the world, when he established the heavens, I was there." And when he drew a circle on the face of the deep, and when he made firm the skies above, and when he established the fountains of the deep, when he assigned to the sea its limits, so that the waters might not transgress his command, when he marked out the foundations of the earth. And then I was beside him like a master workman. And I was daily his delight, rejoicing before him always, rejoicing in his inhabited world and delighting in the children of man. Wisdom was present at the creation of the world. And so the father wants his son to remember to order his life around the creation story because the world was created in a particular in a particular way, with wisdom. It's almost like he says you need to get your bearings and we need to do this over and over again. It's interesting in Scripture, you find over and over again, whether it be the the law or we come to the wisdom books or we go to the prophets, we go into the gospels, you go to the epistles, all the way through Scripture, it continues to come back and says reset yourself, reset the way that you look at the world. You need to remember who is the creator. It's a recalibrating of our thinking. And so the Proverbs does the same thing here. There is a spiritual, physical, moral, social order uh, about the world, and this order was work. And in this order was work. So let me remind you what Justin shared on June 2nd. And I would encourage you, if you haven't heard that message, that you go back and listen to that message, or if you have already, re-listen to it. Uh, A third of our time is spent working. The gospel informs a particular attitude that we are to have toward work. And so here's the first attitude. Work is not a curse to be avoided. Work is good. To work is good. And God is the original worker. Look at back there at verse 22 in our chapter, Proverbs 8. The Lord possessed me at the beginning of his work. The first of his acts of old. So that he created space and time, heaven and earth. Verses 23, verse 23. Ages ago I was set up at the first, before the beginning of the earth. When there were no depths I was brought forth. When there were no springs abounding with water. Before the mountains had been shaped. Before the hills I was brought forth. Before he had made the earth with its fields. Or the first of the dust of the world. And it is God who gets his hands dirty by taking the dust and creating the man, and then he breathes into his nostrils the breath of life. Look at verses 30 and 31. I was beside him like a master workman, creating that pinnacle of all of humanity, or all of his creation, the pinnacle being humanity. He says, I was a master workman. 
Uh, it was daily his delight, rejoicing before him, always rejoicing in his inhabited world, inhabited world, and delighting in the children of man. Justin, Justin reminded us that it was God who, one, brings order out of chaos, two, brings fruitfulness out of fruitlessness, three, acts for the good of humanity and is not selfish, four, he works consistently but not constantly. There was a weekly rhythm so that the God who never slumbers nor sleeps rests on the seventh day. To establish a rhythm to remind his creation that work is not everything. It's not a curse to be avoided. And because it's not everything, second attitude, work is not an idol to be worshipped. The beauty of the God-given act of rest is that it helps us answer this simple question. Am I worshiping my work? If I find it really hard to rest, to enjoy God, to enjoy his creation, to enjoy my relationships, then I am probably worshiping my work. Two attitudes as we think about sluggishness. Work is not a curse to be avoided. Work is not an idol to be to be worshipped. But we are going to see now in the next question, what is a fool? We're going to see the fall. And the introduction of sin into our world which changed everything. But don't forget, Christ worked in order to save us from our sluggish, destructive self. So, what is a fool? A sluggard is a particular type of fool, so what is a fool? Well, Tim Keller in his work in the Proverbs provides a working definition of a fool that I think is very helpful for us as we continue to delve into these particular types of fools, simpleton, uh, sluggard, next week, scoffer. And so he, he says it this way. He says, a fool is someone who is out of touch with reality and should know better. Now think about this in the simple illustration. A five-year-old is roasting uh, a marshmallow uh, for the first time on his own on a straightened coat hanger around the family campfire. Mom and dad have always done it before, but now they're giving them the next, you know, next step forward in maturity here. Gives him that, that, uh, uh, that coat hanger, puts the marshmallow on, puts it in there, begins to roast it, going well. Mom gets the graham cracker and chocolate ready to, to be received, to receive that marshmallow. All is going well. The marshmallow slips into the graham cracker sandwich. Yeah. Now you can see it, right? If you're a parent of two little children, next up, dad looks away for just a second to get another marshmallow. And the five-year-old looks at the business end of that coat hanger, and it's dark and black. It doesn't look hot at all. And he puts his hand on it. And he burns his hand. He's out of touch with reality. But we don't call the five-year-old a fool because he probably shouldn't have known better. Now, if we use the illustration, it's a 25-year-old who's had a few too many, and he does that, we say he's not only out of touch with reality, what looks cool is not cool, it is absolutely hot, and secondly, he should know better. That's a fool. Fools are out of touch with reality, and they should know better. 
So out of touch with reality. There's two basic realities we must grasp and measure our life by if we are going to avoid foolishness or avoid making a foolish decision. Or putting it positively, there are two basic realities that if you are going to be on the road of wisdom, you need to grab a hold of these two realities. A fool is one who's out of touch with the reality that, number one, the universe is ordered. The universe is ordered. There is a physical, social, moral, and spiritual order to the world. There is a givenness about the world. There are just some givens that if you're going to be wise, we need to grasp them and measure all of our decisions by these givens. Now, the physical order is the, is the simplest to, uh, to illustrate. There is a whole YouTube channel called Fail Army that is dedicated to people who fail to recognize the physical order of the universe. And so their friends record their fails on bikes, trampolines, skateboards, cars, tables, nunchucks, you go, you know, the list goes on. Now, now Fail Army um, describes the channel and its noble cause um, this way. So the description says this, every success begins with a failure. Fail army is for people who go out and try. They laugh in the face of failure and don't take themselves too seriously. End of quote. Of which a number of them probably wish they would have taken the physical realities of their soft body parts meeting solid objects more seriously. <laughs> Fool... Army, fool army. They are out of touch with reality, and most of them should know better. The physical world is ordered, so is the social. We are made to be in community with others. There's a moral order. When restraints are let go, there is this kind of moral chaos, and so also there is a spiritual order. Even people who do not embrace any kind of affiliation with, uh, with a church recognize a spiritual aspect to life. An interesting, Barna, in April 2017, found that there is a significant group of people who do not claim any faith at all, but do say that they believe they are spiritual and that there's a spiritual reality out there. And even more interesting, of those people, uh, down to 12%, 12% identify themselves as uh, atheists, that there is no God, or agnostic, that there is a God, but he's, he's distant and not involved in our lives, and yet they too say, I'm spiritual. That there's a sense of an understanding that there's a spiritual order about the world, that there's something spiritual about this thing called existence. So that to be authentically human, you must recognize that order, and that the center of all reality is God, which is why the working definition that Justin has given us for the fear of the Lord is that the fear of the Lord is putting Christ at the center, uh, putting, uh, putting God as your focus. That is the beginning of wisdom. You start there. You're on the road towards wisdom, recognizing the reality that God is the creator, that there is an order. But there's a second fact that we must grasp and measure life by if we're going to grow in wisdom, and that is the world is fallen, and it is, and you are broken. If you're going to be wise, that is the reality you need to grasp. God said to Adam, Genesis chapter 3, after the fall, Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it brings forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread. So that work still has its original dignity. And humanity still has its mandate to bring order out of chaos and bring fruitfulness out of fruitlessness and to be benevolent and not selfish, to be consistent in work but not constant in work. In other words, to image forth God. 
still the original mandate, but now it is extremely difficult. The reality is, is that you're fallen. The reality is that the world has fallen around you. The reality is, is that the way you think is not always right. The reality is that the people who are in your life are also fallen. The reality is that you are going to experience difficulties and troubles, and you cannot get away from that. And if you think you can, you are a fool. You are out of touch of reality. And really, we should know better. Uh, let me turn to Psalm, if you have a chance. Psalms is the uh, book right before Proverbs, so it's pretty easy for you to turn there as well. Psalm chapter 19, and look at, uh, let me just read for you verses 1 through 6. It won't be on the screen, but uh, it's in your Bible. Um, <laughs> Psalm 19, 1 through 6. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. Is revealing knowledge about who God is, even though, look, verse 3, there's no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their measuring line goes out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. In them he has sent a set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens and its circuit to the end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. In other words, if you see the sun, you see the glory of God all around you. We should know better. Or you turn to the New Testament and you turn to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. Again, it won't be on the screen, but it certainly will be found in your Bible. Romans chapter 1, uh, verse 18. Romans 1, 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. What truth, Paul? For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. Where, Paul? For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, out of touch. Claiming to be wise, They became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles, everything to the work of our hands. We should know better. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20 says this, where, there is, where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? So a fool is out of touch with reality and we should know better so that the writer of Proverbs has to tell the sluggard, while you should have dominion over the creeping things, let me tell you what, fool, sluggard, why don't you go to the creeping things and they'll teach you something. So now turn back in your Bibles to, Rome, uh, to Proverbs chapter 6. Proverbs chapter 6, it will be on the screen for you. Chapter 6, um, beginning of verse 6. Go to the ant, O sluggard, and consider her ways, and be wise. Without having any chief officer or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. So what is a sluggard? Third question, what is a sluggard? Well, there are uh, some characteristics. Uh, I guess the way we ask this question is how can we identify a sluggard? Um, uh, number one, he will not begin things. He will not begin things. 
Now, this obviously, Proverbs 6, is not an entomological study, but rather the simple observation of an amateur naturalist. The, the ant doesn't need someone to tell her to get up and gather. She has an initiative. She knows the seasons and recognizes that there will be a time, winter and spring, when food will be scarce. But the sluggard, on the other hand, recognizes a need but just won't begin. See, look down there at, at verse 9. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you rise, arise from your sleep? The sluggard has no initiative. This is the individual who refuses to commit to a specific time. You hear it like this. You know, someday I'm going to. Now, remember, we, we need to be applying these to our identities. And so, family. One of the identities that we believe uh, we have is that of being a family. Uh, through Jesus, we believe that we are children of God and thus brothers and sisters with each other. And as family, we see it as our call to personally care for the needs of one another, both physically and spiritually. Through missional community... And the Sunday gatherings, we disciple and nurture and hold each other accountable to our covenant life together. So for family, and this is the identity that we are supposed to have, are you one who's never started? And said, you know, one day I'm going to be part of an MC. One day I'm going to join one of those MCs. Well, a sluggard will not even begin things. Perhaps that's you. Or perhaps you, you, you know uh, someone within the family and, and you said, you know, I'm, I'm going to help them. I'm going to help them. Uh, but you never do. Number two, how do we identify a sluggard? Well, she... She lacks sense. Look at verse 10 of uh, Proverbs 6. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. See, rest, when it has its proper place, has now become an excuse for a lack of action. And matter of fact, we discover that as we learn about what rest really is, we, we mess up even rest. We begin to think that rest somehow is us uh, stepping out, stepping away from people, stepping away from community, uh, stepping uh, away from being a missionary. And we begin to think, you know what? What would really give me some rest is a nice binge watching of some Netflix show. Or this video game. Or this vacation. She lacks sense. Uh, this is the individual who is uh, self-deceived who, because she says, she, she says, well, I'm not going to do it. Because she doesn't say I'm not going to do it. Um, uh, no, no, she believes one day she will do it. Um, but her indecision or no decision is a decision. Yeah. What she doesn't realize is that the small excuses of delay. So uh, look there again, masterfully written. Little, little, little compounded have tragic results. Tragically, she deceives herself into thinking one day I will do it is enough. Not knowing, like the summer and fall, slowly slipping away hour by hour, day by day. And there, there in, in 11, verse 11, poverty will come upon you like a robber and once like an armed man. From the sluggard's point of view, poverty has suddenly, unexpectedly come upon her. But from everyone else's perspective who watch her, her whittle her days away, poverty is the natural outcome. And she just simply does not lack, uh, she simply does not have any kind of sense. We, we believe our identity is not only family, but also learners. We are disciples of Jesus who take responsibility for our own development and the development of others. 
And so as learners, how does this apply to us? Do we think that if we keep on saying, you know, one day I'm going to, I will do this? Porterbrook. Porterbrook is the means of which we try to theologically get deeper into the word of God. And so every fall we say, join Porterbrook. Uh, and this is made for those who have gone, gone to seminary all the way to those who are new believers. You can work in, through, in and through Porterbrook to see not only what God's word has to say, but how it applies to our lives. And you've said, yeah, I'm going to do that one day. A sluggard doesn't recognize it over time, a little by little by little by little, saying, yeah, one day, one day, one day, one day, it compounds to poverty, spiritual poverty. She lacks sense, or number three, he is useless to those who employ him. So now we do go uh, to Proverbs chapter 10, verse 26. He's useless to those who employ him. Like vinegar to the teeth and smoke to the eyes, so is the sluggard to those who send him. Uh, it's not as if the sluggish one, he is, is neutral participant in the work. No, he is someone who makes the task more irritatingly challenging. Like vinegar irritates the teeth, smoke in the eyes irritates if you ever gone camping, you know all that I'm talking about. <laughs> the sluggard is the individual whom you invite to help only once. <laughs> Family, learner, we also say that one of our identities is that of servants. We, we are servants of God who serve others as a way of life. Jesus said... I'm among you as one who serves. So that all those who follow Jesus are called to serve in the same humility. And for us, this means a joyful submission to God, to leadership, and to each other as we serve whomever God brings into our lives. But perhaps your sluggish way is that as a servant, you want to do it your way, and it's only your way. You don't want to submit. You know better than leadership. A sluggard says, I know my own way. And you become like vinegar to the teeth or smoke to the eyes, irritating, making the work much more difficult. He is useless to those who employ him. Or Proverbs 13, 4, fourth characteristic, she's all talk and no action. Proverbs 13, 4. The soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing while the soul of the diligent is richly supplied. She dreams about, she talks about, she craves. She craves that outcome. She talks about all that she's going to do and all of her dreams, but it is all talk. The, the Kidner uh, commentator, Kidner in, in his commentary, he wrote, writes this. The sluggard lives in her world of wishing, which is her substitute for working. And it can ruin her materially and imprison her spiritually, for she can neither command herself nor escape herself. And so the fourth identity that we uh, talk about uh, here is that of being a missionary. And a missionary is one who's sent by God. We are sent by God to restore all things to uh, himself. God, as God sent his son Jesus to earth to take on human form and live within the culture. He worked, he ate, he interacted among the people, living in such a way that those around him could see and experience what God was truly like. And so in the same way, we believe we are missionaries sent into our culture to restore all things to God through Jesus. But if all you say is, I'm going to do that one day, I dream of seeing others come to faith in Jesus Christ, and you don't do anything, it's all talk. You're a sluggard. Out of touch with reality. 
and we should know better. Number five, he is easily dismayed in the face of difficulty. Proverbs 15.9, Proverbs 15.9, the way of a sluggard is like a hedge of thorns, or the path of the upright is a level way. See, the key to this verse is the contrasting subjects of sluggard and upright. Living a life with God as the center, the fear of God, results in a person who is fortified for difficulties. Both the sluggard and the uprights, they face difficulties, but as you observe how they handle them, one looks like they're progressing through a hedge of thorns, while the other one seems to be progressing like they're on a highway. The reality is that as we live in this fallen world, it is filled with difficulties. And God doesn't remove the difficulties. But like his own son, who had to face the difficulties and fallenness of this world to the point of suffering and dying on a cross, so he is forming his children into steadfast, principled people, just like Jesus Christ, using the same means. The sluggard fails to take into account the reality of brokenness, so when the face of difficulties, he is easily dismayed. Number five, he is easily dismayed in the face of difficulties. Number six, she is unteachable. She is unteachable. Our last passage, Proverbs 26. Look at there how it begins, verse 13. The sluggard says, there's a lion in the road. There's a lion in the streets. She gives all kinds of excuses. It's probable, remotely possible, but improbable. Verse 14, as a door turns on its hinges, so does a sluggard on his bed. Sleep is her preferred state of existence. She says, I'm, you know what, I'm better in the afternoon. And then the afternoon slips away and says, you know what, I'm better in the evening. And then the evening slips away and says, oh, you know what, I'm better really late at night. As commentator Ray Ortland describes her, he says, she is lazy, constantly making the soft choice, losing one opportunity after another, after another, after another. And then look down to uh, verse 16, verse 16 there. The sluggard is wiser in his own eyes than seven men who can answer sensibly. And here's the sobering reality. The sluggard can hear over and over again the same common sense advice, and she rejects it again and again because in her eyes she is wiser, and she prides herself in sticking to her guns. Now, if you're nurturing your inward sluggard, if you're nurturing this sluggishness about life. There's a downward progression. Number seven, he cannot do the simplest of tasks. Verse 15, the sluggard buries his hand in the dish and it wears him out to bring it back to his mouth. That's supposed to be funny and tragic. If you continue to nurture a sluggishness, whether it be as a learner or as a servant or as a missionary or within the family, as a family member, if you continue to nurture that sluggishness, simple things become extremely difficult. To, so much so that uh, going on mission, getting in your car and turning it on is just a little too hard to get there. Uh, to, to open up your Bible in the morning and open it up and have a little bit of uh, your own personal devotions. It's just a little too hard to get that Bible off the shelf and open it up. Little tiny things all of a sudden become huge so that if you begin to con consider your own life within uh, the identities that God has given you and you see your excuses, all you should do is kind of laugh at yourself. Because you're a tragic picture of someone who's sluggish, a sluggard. 
Now, you would think, you would think at this point, we would have to ask the question, um, well, we do have to ask the question, and you think the answer would be this. The question is, what's our hope? If, if you're beginning to feel a conviction of sluggishness in your life, maybe, and one of these uh, identities you have, what is your hope? And so you would think the answer is this. You would think the answer is, well, get up, strive harder, work. You would think that's the answer. But the answer is not that. The answer is rest. Rest. See, Christ worked in order to save us from our sluggish, destructive self. So he's not calling us to strive anymore. He's not calling us to work anymore. Rather, he's calling us to rest in the work that Christ already did for us on the cross. Good news. Yes. <laughs> yeah, uh, Christ worked in order to save us from our sluggish, destructive self. Uh, so how is Christ the Savior? Fourth question. How is Christ a, uh, the Savior of our sluggish, destructive self? First, he worked on your behalf. He worked on your behalf. One, he upheld the honor of work and perfectly imaged his father. He was a carpenter. He learned and worked a trade. And remarkably, he sat at the feet of teachers. We have a record of his parents losing track of him in Jerusalem, in the throngs of Jerusalem, you know, just like you did with your kids at the mall. And so they only find him a little bit later, three days later, to find him listening to the teachers in the temple, and he's asking them questions. In Hebrews chapter 5, verse 8, it says he learned obedience through what he suffered. So he upheld the work, uh, the honor of work, and perfectly imaged his father. Number two, he perfectly fulfilled the assignments in his life. John chapter 4, verse 34, he says, my food, Jesus says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. And in John 17, 4, in his prayer in the garden, he prays, I have glorified you on the earth by completing the work you gave me to do. He lived the life we should have lived. Number three, he finished the work of the Father on the cross. On the cross, as he completed the work of our, of our salvation, he cried, It is finished! And now as resurrected Lord, he works on our behalf. He upholds the universe. Paul writes in Colossians chapter 1, verse 17, in him all things hold together. Secondly, he intercedes on your behalf. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him. Sounds a lot like rest. Draw near to him. Draw near to the Father through Jesus Christ, and he will, uh, to, he will save you to the uttermost. All of your sluggardly ways, all of the sluggishness in your four identities. Since he always lives to make intercession uh, for them. And yes, we did say this. We did hear this. I believe it was in after our confession. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should just simply walk in them. So the proper response this morning to sluggishness in your life is to turn away from that sluggishness and turn to Jesus in faith who perfected the, perfect, perfectly imaged the Father by working for you, who died for all of us who fall short in our work and offers us forgiveness and escape from our destructive self and hell itself and transforms us into the image of his Son, the image of the one who works in and through us. So rest in Christ in your sluggardliness. Say, God, I am a sluggard. I have been sluggish 
as a missionary. I've been sluggish as a learner. I've been sluggish as a family member. I've been sluggish as a servant. Oh, forgive me. But I trust in you. Would you work that out of me? I intend to turn from that and do what you've called me to do. Work it out. Perhaps your sluggishness has been in simply resting in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You may have been here for a couple weeks, a couple months, a couple years, and you've never rested in Christ. And all that brokenness and all that pain and suffering, you've tried rest, you've tried different things to try to escape it. It seems smart. Seem like a good idea, but you keep coming back to your broken self. Christ says, I worked for you. I died for you. I lived the life you should have lived and should live. And I died the death that you should have died. Trust me as your Lord and Savior, and I will make you new, and I will give you life. I'll save you from your sluggish self. That's good news. As we take this Lord's Supper, that's exactly what we're celebrating. We're celebrating the work that Christ did for us so that we could be people who could rest in him and be people who live out of our identities. If you are in Christ, you are a missionary. You are a learner. You are a servant. You are a family member. You are already that. Live it out now. That's what God is calling us to do. Father, we thank you. We're good news. We don't, we don't leave this place trying harder, striving to be better. <laughs> oh, no, Christ did all that for us. So, Father, as we take this bread and as we take this cup, we're reminded that he gave his body. He shed his blood. He lived the life we should have lived. He died the death we should die so that we could have new life in him. Restore us, renew us again this day as we take this cup together as a family. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.